I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, some of our kids had an early morning this morning. They were down at Fox Studios uh, doing a little uh, bit on the blessing of the backpack. So they were on Fox TV this morning. So I was with them. So I'm a little tired. If I fall asleep during my sermon, please wake me up. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Uh, Father Bates sent me an article about a synagogue that's recently been discovered in Galilee. Um, and the, the exciting thing about it is there, there are seven syna- archaeological ruins of seven synagogues found in Israel, but they've all been found in a populated area. So this one has been found in rural Galilee. And uh, so it gives credence to the New Testament phrase where it says, Jesus went through their towns and villages teaching in the synagogues. So if you'd like to turn to the gospel reading this morning, we'll uh, have a look at that. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, the liturgy of the synagogue was very influential in the liturgy of the Christian church. So when we gather here this morning, uh, doing our prayers and gathering and readings and homily and teaching, follows very much the pattern set by the synagogue people when they uh, when the, after the temple was destroyed and the, the synagogue became very prominent. And so we follow that pattern very closely. What is different is the day on which we gather. So the synagogue people, of course, gathered on Saturday, the seventh day, the day of rest. Now, it became for them sort of a whole list of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And they became rather rigid about that. And there's, a, I think, in some ways forgot what the Sabbath was about. It was the culmination of God's wonderful creation, the gift of creation, and that the Sabbath day when he rested was not because he was tired, but because there was a glorious and splendid completion to it. It was finished. God entrusted this beautiful gift, which he kept referring to as good. It's very good. And entrusted it to us. And that was a gift to us. So the Sabbath became a reminder, or was, I think, meant to be a reminder of God's creation as a gift to us and of our obligation to be caring for it, to be stewards of it. Now, the difference for us is we don't gather on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, the day of rest, although that's what it has become, I think, in popular mindset. We gather on Sunday, which is, of course, the day of resurrection. So Christians began to gather on that day as a reminder preeminently that Jesus conquered the forces of death on that day. So we still remember it's a a weekly day of rest when we remember the creation. But our focus becomes on the new creation, that those who come to God, come to Christ, are made new and in line of the creation, but new. And so here's Jesus, and when he's doing his uh, teaching, it's not really his teaching that got him in trouble, but rather he is healing. And so a woman comes into the synagogue who's been crippled for 18 years. It's very evocative. Look in verse 11. She'd been crippled for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. There's many things. I think we can relate to this. Because we've all had physical maladies, aches and pains, illnesses. We know people who are fighting very serious medical illness, cancer, and uh, different things like that. So we can relate to that. 
There's all, all kinds of other things that can sort of uh, overwhelm us. We look at the flooding in Louisiana. I think you know probably that we've done a great collection and the Gotsikin family, as we speak, are driving a big Huol trailer to Baton Rouge to take uh, relief efforts to them. Some love and action happening. There's the fires going on in California. There's flooding and things that threaten to bend us over and to break us. There's when medical things happen, it can ruin us financially. Relationships can go wrong. You may have probably heard the news item of in Hot Springs, Arkansas. They rescued a four-year-old battered girl uh, from their family. She was being beaten by her mother's live-in boyfriend and uh, covered in bruises, which will heal. The saddest part was when the police asked her, what's your name? The four-year-old girl said, my name is Idiot. Because she had been called an idiot so regularly that that's what she thought her name was. And so it says the spirit, there was a spirit that had crippled this woman. And I don't know if that was a spirit that had caused the physical malady, but we think of the spirits that bow us down. A spirit of criticism or alienation, feeling we're not good enough, feeling that no one likes us or is there for us. All kinds of things that would bow our spirit. And so Jesus does this miraculous healing, and it's really uh, graphic that she's bent over, and when she's healed, she stands up straight and praises God. And I think that's why we gather here on a Sunday to come and avail ourselves of the sacrament, to be encouraged, but from our being bowed over to be raised up, to pray for one another who are facing medical things or financial things or relationship things, but also about our soul. We hand out these uh, little tags for the backpacks for the children. We had about 20 or 30 kids come up and uh, get a little tag for the backpack. A reminder of who they are and whose they are, that they are children of God, and that God go, will go with them wherever they go. God is much bigger than just the four walls of our church. That God has rich resources to help them navigate the challenges. And that God has given them a job to do. To share out of their abundance. So he, the, the synagogue ruler is offended and talks to his congregation. Come on any other day and be cured. Which is, I think, is rich in irony. I can't imagine there were too many healings going on for the rest of the six days. Uh, but he does not want Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus brings his healing back into line with the creation story. But then he says in verse 16, uh, reminds her who she is. She's not just a problem. She's not just a medical malady. She is a daughter of Abraham. And we need to be reminded who we are as well. When we come and take the sacrament, when we come and gather around the table, we are reminded that we are at the family table. And then he says, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years. As a Christian church or a Christian school, we try to focus on the glorious truths of the gospel, the beauty and light. And, but we also are aware that it's a world that has evil in it. And we are a people who are capable of sin 
and need to acknowledge that and seek forgiveness. The church has really downplayed sin. And I think the problem with that is that when sin becomes just kind of a little inconvenience, what Jesus did on the cross isn't really so special anymore. If sin's not a big deal, his death on the cross is not a big deal. Maybe it wasn't even necessary. And if we take that aspect out of the Godhead, then God becomes much different. Rather than a God who is willing to give of himself to enter our world and to suffer and to give and to forgive, then he becomes a much different picture of God. And if that's the picture of God that we present to the world, then our view of ourselves is changed. Because we are meant to be in the image of God who gave himself for others. And we are called to give for others as well. Why would we forgive someone who offends us? Because God forgave us when we offended against him. And so Jesus says at the end that uh, Satan had bound her for 18 long years. And should she not be set free? I don't know if there's anything weighing you down. An unconfessed sin, a malady, a discouragement, a spirit of criticism. But God wants you to be set free as well. God wants you to know the joy and the ability to stand upright and to praise him. To remember he's there for you and he's powerful. Would you turn, I'm just going to end with uh, reading Psalm 71, the first two verses. Let's read that together again. And I think it's very indicative in David in the psalm. He asked God to change his posture. So this woman who went from being bent to standing upright is based on the fact that God, who is upright, was willing to bow down to us. And it says, incline his ear to us. Let's just read the first two verses. Say it all together. In you, O Lord, have I taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me and set me free. Incline your ear to me and save me. Amen.